Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, He was born in 1703. He was one of, get this, 19 children. He was born to Samuel and Susanna. And uh, he's born in jolly old England. He was educated, went to school. He entered into the priesthood. He was an ordained Anglican priest. He and his brother, they got onto a boat. They came over to the colony of Georgia. They had a ministry there, a missions trip, if you will, to the Native American population In Georgia, they tried to reach the Indians. They felt like utter failures. They came back across the Atlantic to England. At England, uh, they had started a thing called the Holiness Club at the school that they had attended. And at the Holiness Club, they, uh, they started being made fun of. They were called Methodists by the other students. Uh, because they were very methodical, they had a, a means of seeking to help one another grow uh, in their godliness, to be more Christ-like, to, to uh, talk about their sin, talk about their failings, to help one another, disciple one another. And then on May 24th, 1738, when he was 35 years old, and of course I'm speaking of John Wesley, when Wesley was 35 years old, he uh, had been struggling that week with his sin and the weight of his sin and his inability to change. He was frustrated. And he wrote this about his experience on May 24, 1738. He says, In the evening... I went very unwillingly. Can, can anyone raise, can I get an amen to that at church? I went unwillingly. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. <laughs> Could you imagine if, if I just got up here and started, I mean, some of you think it's boring already, but what if I just got up and read the preface to Luther's thoughts on the book of Romans. That was, you know, hey, today we're going to read Luther's thoughts on the book of Romans. And then we'll go out for a pint. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they didn't do that. Where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans, about a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. You ever heard that phrase? It's a very famous phrase. And then he goes on, he says this, I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that, had, that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin. And death. Now remember, 
This is the testimony of a man who has been an ordained priest in the Anglican Church, who has gone on a missions trip trying to get Native Americans in Georgia saved. And the point is that John Wesley wasn't saved. (laughs) By his own testimony. By his own testimony, he had never experienced salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, until the night of May 24th, 1738. Did you catch that he went very unwillingly? It's fascinating what God can do. And I start with this story because we're going to be looking at a passage in John chapter 15 again today. Uh, We started looking at it last week, and if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about he is the vine and we are the branches. And the reason I wanted to talk about John Wesley and his experience today briefly is to enter into a discussion of what the gardener, what the vine dresser does with the vineyard. And the reason I wanted to do that is because one thing that the vine dresser does is he looks for living branches and dead branches on the vine. Now, the interesting thing with Wesley is as soon as he had this conversion experience, as soon as he had trusted Jesus Christ, he started to see that he changed. He started to experience a a change in his demeanor. He started to experience a change in his desires to sin. He was being changed supernaturally from the inside out. Things that he couldn't will, that he couldn't by self-will, by just trying really hard, that he tried to accomplish with the holiness club, that he tried to accomplish in his own flesh, his own strength, he couldn't get it done. But once he experienced new life in Christ, he started to change. And really, that's the core of the message that Jesus is sharing with us in John chapter 15. He's talking about what it means to have a supernaturally fueled character change. Is there any rough edges on you you'd like changed? Okay, let me ask differently. Is there any rough edges on your spouse that you'd like changed? Is there any rough edges? That's dangerous. Maybe I shouldn't. Is there any rough edges on your children you'd like changed? You see, if we're all honest, and this is church, so doggone it, be honest. We all have something in our lives that we want changed. There's something that we want fixed in us. There's something broken in us. And we sense that in some way, perhaps, church, being good, hanging out with the right people, can fix those things. There's something that tells us that maybe that's the way forward. But Jesus has a very different thing that he says. And last week we started to look at what it means to remain in Christ And we were looking at the branch and the branch's responsibilities. Today we're going to look at the gardener and the gardener's responsibilities. What the gardener does to get growth in us. And it's interesting, he does a couple of things. The first is he is looking for the dead branches to get rid of them. And the second is 
He prunes the living branches to make them more fruitful. Aren't you glad you came to church today? I mean, you, you know, this is gardening 101, right? Now, what does this mean? What does it mean that he is looking for dead branches to get rid of them? Well, he's asking the question, are you formally united to me or are you vitally united to me? Are you formally united to the vine or are you vitally united to the vine? Are you mechanically related to the vine or are you organically related to the vine? Back to John Wesley, he was mechanically, he was formally related to the vine. He was a good Christian. He went to church all the time. He had to go because go he worked there. He was a priest. He was going through all of the Christian motions. He was doing everything that you would expect of a priest to do. He had a formal mechanical relationship to the vine. May 24th, 1738, according to his own testimony, he says, I became a branch attached vitally, organically to the vine. And this is the basic question that the gardener is asking of all of us. The gardener is examining our relationship. Is it formal or is it vital? Is it mechanical or is it organic? Are we dead or are we living? And how does the gardener know if we're living? What's he looking for? Fruit. And how do I know that? Well, I read John 15, and we're going to read that real quick. Uh, John 15, verses 1 through 10. The words will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, man, grab it and get a pen. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus is obviously saying that the gardener is God the Father. And he, Jesus, is the vine. He's the trunk. He's the stem. And we clearly, in this metaphor he's giving us, are the branches. And the gardener is looking for dead branches and living branches. He's looking for those with a formal relationship or a vital relationship, a mechanical relationship or an organic relationship. Now, one thing that's curious and interesting to me is that everyone who is in church today, raise your hand if you're in church today, just a quick you know, 
see if you're listening. Everyone who's in church today, you think you in some way are related to God. And you are. In some way, you are related to God. In some way, you are related to the vine. By your presence here, it demonstrates a desire, a willingness, a trying to be related to the vine. And in some way, you are. But the real question is, are you formally related or are you vitally related? Mechanically related or organically related? Is the lifeblood of the vine running through you or are you a dead branch? And what Jesus says that the gardener is looking for, did you hear what he's looking for? Those that don't bear fruit, he cuts off. And those that are bearing fruit, he prunes so that they will be more fruitful. What God is looking for, what the gardener is looking for is fruit. And this whole passage is talking about this fruit. And the fruit that I think Jesus is talking about is growing in Christ, growing in grace, or supernaturally fueled character change. You remember that list that Paul gives us in Galatians? Maybe if you haven't been around church much, you don't, you're not familiar with that list. The list is what we is typically in Christianese called the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, self-control. And did I get them all? I can't remember. Um, there's some others you could add to it. Humility, courage. There's these fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that grows supernaturally in a person who is vitally connected to the vine. And these are some of those fruit that the Holy Spirit, that God the Father, that Jesus is looking for. But there's two particular fruit that Jesus mentions in this passage. In verses 9 and 10, let me read those verses to us again and see if you can hear what the fruit is. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. There's two kind of fruit that the gardener is looking for. He's looking for love, and he's looking for obedience. The two fruit that Jesus talks about in this passage that the father, the gardener, is looking for is love and obedience. This is tough stuff. I realize this is tough stuff. We're supposed to be people who are growing in love. Now, I want to give a terrible test to you right now. Not not terrible because it's like poorly written, but terrible because it's hard. I want you to think about asking somebody who's really close to you. And if you were to ask that person who's really close to you to list three or four character qualities, you know, I get to do this regularly. We call this uh, funeral preparation where I sit with a family after a person has died. Boy, that's a scary meeting for the person who's died, right? I mean, not so much for those there because you never know what they might say. And a lot of times I get to sit with these people knee to knee talking about somebody I've never met. I am greatly dependent upon their loved ones and their experience of this person. I'm greatly dependent on their description of this person. What were they like? 
Can you list three or four qualities of what this person was like? Think about doing that now while you can still change it, while you can still pray for it to be changed. Think about that now. If you grabbed a person who's close to you and said, list three to four qualities of me that describe me, three to four character qualities, would love be one of them? Would love be in the top four? It shouldn't be that hard, right? Have you watched the news recently? Have you interacted with a person lately? Have you driven in Denver recently? It shouldn't be that hard for love to be something that's in the top four character qualities for us. For those of us who are vitally connected to the branch or to the vine, for those branches who are organically connected to the vine, love is one of the fruit the gardener is looking for. Now, part of this you might think, well, you know, this is just being a pleasant person. And let me say, that's not what Jesus had in mind here. Although, if you are a loving person, you will be more pleasant If you see what Jesus said, he says, remain in my love just as I have remained in the Father's love. He's talking about this love relationship that he has with the Father. Now, guys, before you tune out and you start dreaming about the Broncos beating the Cowboys, because I know for men, talking about love is like, you know, I mean, let's talk about action or something. Just wait. The obedience part is coming. You can listen there, right? The love part's important too. You see, how do you know you are growing in love with someone? How do you know that you are growing more in love with somebody? Think about when you were dating your spouse. If, you don't, if you're not married, if you've never been in love, think about a dog or a cat. I don't know. But think about a spouse. One of the things that is a hallmark that you are following in love with someone is that you enjoy spending more and more time with them, right? You enjoy spending more and more and more time with them. That is like the telltale sign that you're falling in love with someone. Like when your buddies, uh, you know, especially when these things break up, because sometimes they do, like when you're in dating mode and like the whole summer is gone and then... September is happening and you try to go back and hang out with your friends and they're like, oh, you remember us, you know. What happened? Well, she broke up with me. Oh, and now you want to come back to us and hang out with us. You see, when we fall in love with somebody, we spend all this time and energy with them. It's a telltale sign that we are falling in love with somebody. How about you? Are you falling in love with God? Do you enjoy spending more and more and more time with him? Do you enjoy praying, speaking to God? Extended amounts of time in prayer. Do you enjoy listening to God? Do you enjoy reading his word, spending time in the Bible, reading, meditating, memorizing the scriptures? Look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1 talks about the man who is planted by the river and the river is the words of God. And he says, I meditate on your words day and night. Do you know why lawyers meditate upon contracts day and night? They're looking for a loophole. They're looking to get you out. They're looking for a way to get you out of it. 
Is that why we meditate upon God's law day and night so we can get out of it? No. You see, the reason you meditate upon God's law day and night is so that you can find new applications to your life, so that you can find new ways that you can obey God's word. Now, why would you do that? Because you're in love with him. You ever gone shopping for somebody that you love? Like, you know, you're, it's puppy love early on, high school. Kids, listen up. This is some tips for you. You're out, you're shopping, you're looking for that perfect thing for them, and then you find it. Oh, he's going to love this. Oh, she will just die if I get this. And you buy it, and you wrap it, and you hide it, and you bring it, and you're just so full of joy and so full of excitement to give it to them because you are, in a sense, you're giving your heart in a new way through the gift that you found that you know they'll love. And there's something in us that just loves to do that for people. And that's what love for God should be. When we read his words, We're like a person who's out shopping looking for that perfect gift. The word of God is a treasure trove of things, of gifts we can give to the king. One of those gifts is is praise. Another way you can see if you love God. Are you quick to praise him? When you fall in love with somebody, you're quick to see their beauty. You're quick to see their goodness. You're quick to see those characteristics that just draw you to them. And you praise them for it. You know, we sit around and we're like, you have just lovely, deep swimming pool eyes, right? Okay, hopefully you're not as cheesy as that, you know? We write sonnets and poems and songs and... And we find words that speak into existence the praise of our loved one. Maybe we all go Shakespeare on them even, you know. We're like, whoa, wow, you must love me. Or if you're really daring, you find the Song of Songs in the Bible and, you know, your neck is like the Tower of David. It's like, wow, wow this dude really loves her, you know. It's like, or your, your teeth are like sheep on a mountainside. Wow. You know. <laughs> Guys, you may want to try those. I don't know. It gets a little more graphic. We can't even talk about it here in church. Some of you who know the psalm are getting nervous. But we sing the praises of those we love. And when you come to church and we stand around for 20 minutes, are you just standing around for 20 minutes going, oh my gosh, you know, did you hear that? That was so out of tune. Boy, that was terrible. Can you believe how bad these people are today? You know, Steve's voice is cracking like all over the place, like he's a middle schooler all over. Are you standing there? Are you critical? Are you like, oh, I hate this song. Why do we sing this song? This is a terrible song. Why can't we sing the good old song? Are you standing there and you're critical and your heart is, and you're like Ebenezer Scrooge in worship? Bah, humbug. Or are you full of praise and love for the creator? And you go, you know what? This ain't my style. This doesn't really. But those words are true. They speak my heart to God. And I will worship him. I will praise him. Because doggone it, most of the songs that they sing in heaven, I probably won't even know. I'm going to have to learn them. (laughs) Because they're going to be like in Hebrew. 
and not just Hebrew, but remember what Jesus said? Every tongue will confess. A person from every tribe and nation. Just think if all the praise songs were in English, those poor folks. My guess is we're all going to have to learn and we're all going to experience new ways of praising God in heaven. Boy, we better start now. Another way to know if you're falling in love with God more and more. Do you feel more treasured? And this is a really important one. This is like rubber meets the road one. Do you feel more treasured and protected as time goes on? As you would if you knew you're the child of a holy and all-powerful father who loves you. Do you feel more treasured and protected by him? You see, many of us have this relationship with God of, oh man, he's gonna, I'm going to get it. We don't believe that we're treasured, protected by him. We just think he's out to get us. That's love. The second fruit that the gardener is looking for is obedience. This is where the guys can listen up because this is like doing stuff, right? Love is like feelings. Obedience is doing stuff. But remember, did you hear how Jesus put it? If you love me, you will keep my commands. Oh, brother, it's a kissing movie still, right? But think about it. Our love, our obedience is what motivates, our love for God is what motivates our obedience. Anybody remember that great movie called The Princess Bride? And Wesley and Buttercup? (laughs) And Wesley was a farm boy and he worked on the farm that Buttercup's family owned, and, and she, would like, she liked to order him around, kind of boss him around. And whenever she told him to do something, Wesley, the farm boy, would say, as you wish. But the narrator gives us an insight into Wesley because he says, every time Wesley told Buttercup, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. And you see, that's the picture of a Christian that Jesus has in mind here, that if you are vitally, organically connected to the stem, when you obey, it's motivated out of love. Where did the phrase, your wish is my command, come out of? It came out of a love relationship. It came out of somebody who wants to please them. But the longer we're married to somebody, we start saying, now what do you want, right? Get your own sandwich, right? That's what I was thinking, right? You know, sorry. That's what we start to think. Now what do you want? What does she want, right? But when we were first following in love, we thought, your wish is my command. That's where this obedience of the Christian, the true Christian, the one who is vitally, organically connected to the stem comes from. It comes out of that love. It's a picture for us to keep in mind. You see, you read the scriptures, you want to obey the scriptures because you love the one who gave them. You love the one whose wishes they are for your life. All right. That's how God tells if you are a living branch or a dead branch. That's how the gardener looks. He says, are they growing in love? Are they growing in obedience? And if they're not then you're not a Christian. 
and you have a formal mechanical relationship, you have a moral religious obligation type of relationship with the vine. You're not really born again. You're not really in. And the gardener comes and cuts you out. Now, those of you who are in, right? Because obviously this is a test that we can give ourselves. It's not like God is saying, I'm going to make it so confusing nobody can figure it out. And just by the end of the days, hopefully you're on the right side. But who? nobody knows, right? I can't tell you how many times I'm helping a family get ready for a funeral and nobody knows. Do your family a favor, will you, today? Some of you aren't touchy-feeling. I get it. Some of you guys are like, I ain't going to share. Share. If your family doesn't know where you are at with Christ, let them know. By the way, I'm a branch, okay? End of discussion. I mean, if that's all you can muster out, have that conversation with them. But let your family know that you know Christ, that you're born again. And by the way, don't they already know? Didn't Jesus say they could tell? If you're growing in love and if you're obedient, boy, you know how tempted I am as a pastor to say, eh, if you didn't know, maybe there was no fruit. But that's mean. I'm supposed to offer comfort in those moments. You can offer comfort right now by being loving and obedient, by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, by remaining in the vine. Now, to those who remain in the vine, the gardener has another job. He is pruning the live branches so they'll bear more fruit. Yay, pruning. You ever seen a vineyard pruned? Ouch. I mean, those guys, when they prune a vine, they prune off a lot of new growth. When they prune a vine, they even prune off little baby clusters of grapes. When they prune vines, if you were to walk by with an ignorant eye and look at what they did, you would think, oh my goodness, somebody hates these vines. Oh my goodness, look at the waste. Oh my goodness, that clump of grapes was going to become something. And you look at it and you're like, somebody hates these vines. And if you've ever been pruned by the Father, it's easy to go, somebody hates me. Right? But this is how you know you're a Christian. This is how you know you're a child of God, is when he applies the steel to you. When he cuts you. And this is so true in many ways. It's true with the vine and the vine dresser. It's true with gold ore and the refiner. It's true with an athlete and a coach. What does a good coach do to an athlete? Yeah, just sit around and eat a bunch of ding-dongs and show up when you can. And we're going to win. Yeah, Vance Joseph, I don't think that's a good idea. A coach makes you do things you don't want to do so you can become what you want to become. When you hand off an athlete to a coach, what does a coach say? One more lap. You held five times in the game. Everybody's running. Sam and I watched the game on Friday night in Alt. And one of his comments was, they're running for all those penalties. (laughs) I'm like, do you miss it? And he's like, not that part. (laughs) A good coach is shaping you. Or a child and a parent 
Anybody ever have a child who's like a teenage type of child? And that child says, you just don't understand. You're ruining my life. This is terrible. You know, little Tommy's family. Well, we're not Tommy's family, you know. I often see it. I love how Tim Hawkins puts it. My gift as a father is to give the children the gift of no. (laughs) Dad, can I do this? No. Dad, can I do that? No. Right? That's my gift to them. Well, you just don't understand. You're terrible. I know. No. (laughs) And they hate it. They dislike it. It's horrible. I'm ruining their life. And yet these principles are our pictures for us in our relationship with God the Father. You see, one of the things, why are you laughing at the little discussion? Because these kids, some of these kids are here today. They looked at their parents. They're like, yeah, you ruined my life. But everybody else is kind of, that's funny. Why are we laughing at that? Because they have no perspective. Right? We have perspective. Why would we assume we have perspective when it comes to God pruning us? We're like a child. We should all assume, I don't have good perspective on this. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wise enough. Are you looking at the pruning of God in your life with an ignorant eye of, oh my gosh, somebody hates these vines? Or are you looking at it with a skillful eye that there wasn't a single random cutting? There wasn't a single, single hateful cutting that they were all done for a good and a purpose and a reason. And it is going to bring about a greater harvest. You see, what is the point of the pruning anyways? It's to cause the branch To rely on the stem more. You see, when we get pruned, there's a couple of things we need to do. When you're being pruned, and some of you are being pruned, you're looking around, you're like, I am bleeding at a hundred places. My life is a wreck. What is going on, God? What are you doing? There's three things you should do when you're in the midst of being pruned. Learn. Learn. Why was this cut off of me? (laughs) And I'll tell you that a lot of times when something's cut off of you, it's because you thought it was the stem and you were sucking on it. You thought it was your life. You thought it was what gave you life. You thought it was what gave you meaning. And you thought it was what you needed to live. And the gardener goes, you don't need that. You don't need that to live. You need me to live. You need Jesus to live. You need the vine to live. Oh, this stuff will preach, gang. Do you know how many times I sit in my office and I hear somebody say, I don't think I'm in love with this person anymore. My child is this. My child is that. This is happening here. This is going on there. And I just think, boy, you're sucking on the wrong thing. (laughs) You think your life is something that it's not. You're putting your hope, you're putting your ultimate hopes, you're putting so much on this. And God is in the process of ripping it away from you. Learn. Second thing when you're being pruned, trust. (laughs) Trust his schedule. Trust his agenda. Man, this is a hard one. 
But let me give you a pointer. It's easy to trust God's agenda when you stop trusting your own, (laughs) right? When you stop trusting your own agenda for your life, by now I thought I would have done this. By now I thought I would have figured out that. By now I thought I would have this. Online I do some surveys every once in a while just for fun, you know. I'm tempted to lie on them just to mess up the, 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 the info, but I don't because I'm a pastor and you're not supposed to. And They always ask me questions like, <laughs> how much money do you have saved up for retirement, right? And I thought by now I'd have more because I'm getting closer to wanting to retire. I'm starting to eyeball that greeter job at the Walmart, though, <laughs> Right? Why am I behind? There's tons of reasons I'm behind. It has to do a lot with three people who are in their teen years. Right? How many of you thought you'd be further along than you are and your agenda said, I'd be here. But God's agenda is different. And some of you, that's really difficult. I'm pretty flexible, but for some of you, it's really super irritating when God messes it up. Trust. Believe that you might not have the correct perspective on things. Start to trust God's insight by not trusting your own so much. And the third thing, obey. Learn, trust, and obey. When you're under the, when you're under the knife, when you feel the steel cling to the vine. And I love this phrase from tim keller he says an ounce of sin can kill you in a way that 10 tons of suffering can't did you hear that an ounce of sin can kill you in a way that 10 tons of suffering can't you know i've realizing there's a theme emerging in my preaching of late and over the last year and one of those themes is suffering One of those things is calling all of us to a life of understanding that this life is full of suffering. Jesus said it. In this life, you will know trouble. And sometimes I have to apologize for colleagues of mine who say, no, 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 you're not going to suffer. I'm like, man, you just you must not know the gardener I know. Because there are times that God inflicts pain on me, and there's nobody else to point at for that pain but him. And I realize that I'm being pruned so that I will go deeper into Christ, so that I will apply the gospel more to myself. So I won't just be a person who gets up here and says things that he's not living. So I'll be a person that is clinging to Christ when I feel the knife. My hope and prayer for all of us is we would be those people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words from Jesus that give us a clear path forward to help us change ourselves, not by religious uh, rituals and not by self-righteousness and not by trying harder, but by remaining 
in Christ. Thank you that we have the good gardener, the vine dresser, who is looking to cause us to follow Christ deeper. I pray for each of us that we would look at ourselves and we would ask ourselves, am I formally connected to the vine or am I vitally connected to the vine? Holy Spirit, reveal to us the state of our hearts, the state of our lives. And Lord, if we are vitally connected, may we see more love and may we see more obedience as you prune us. We ask these things in Christ's name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Cling to the vine. Amen.